So that's how we dethrone poverty. Every part of us sings, I need you. Confession always makes way for compassion, for comfort, for provision. And when a part of us does not need God, we experience poverty. So I want to define poverty again for us this morning, and poverty is simply this. Poverty is not just experiencing lack, but fearing that we will lack. It occurs when we conform our circumstances to the blueprint given to us by the world, and we never see who God really made us to be. Poverty occurs when the God of this world surrounds and influences us with the world's perspective, causing us to forget God's ability in the midst of our circumstances. Poverty is the voice that says what? God is not able. I had this conviction that there is a mass of us in this room this morning that have never reached the pinnacle of what God has designed for us at this moment. I think of Paul's words to the church at Ephesus when he told them that that there is this God who is more than willing to do beyond anything we could ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. I think there's, there's this fear in us that, that, that we're not sure that God is able. We're not going to risk because we're not sure he's able or we're not sure he really loves us that much or we don't deserve it that much. So much of what you've heard this morning has led us this direction is that there's so much more that God has for us if we are willing to trust him and believe him. That's why Jesus came. He said, I want want you to follow me. Come follow me and I will take you into the very best, this pinnacle of life that God has designed just for you and for us corporately. So there was this very up and coming young adult who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to to have it all? And Jesus said, well, I've, I've, I've got this question for you. Do you trust God enough that you obey every command? And he said, oh, I have, I have done that conscientiously since I was a child. And Jesus said, okay, well then, there's just one thing. I want you to sell everything you have because this man was wealthy. His desire was to have the good life forever. And Jesus said, I want you to give up all that you possess and I want you to give it to the poor and I want you to come follow me and I will show you the pinnacle of what God has for you. And he couldn't do it because he trusted what was in his hand more than he trusted the God that he was supposed to worship. And though seemingly wealthy, he was living in poverty. Poverty is refusing to become what God has destined for us to become. And herein is our constant battle. This is our conflict because Jesus talks about this. And Jesus says this, recorded in the book of Matthew, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word there is mammon. Mammon is actually more than just love of money. Mammon is a demonic spirit attempting to set itself up equal with God. It is the voice 
that speaks to Jesus in the wilderness who says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. And he showed him all the possessions of the world. He said, I will give you all those possessions if you will come and worship me. And Jesus responded. He said, it is written that we should only worship God and him alone. Worship is when every part of us, every part, cries out, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And then ex expecting that he will give a, a compassionate response. The author to the book, to the Hebrews, made this statement, and it is impossible to please God without faith, and anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He said, seek God and expect a return. Seek God and expect a reward. It's what Jesus said when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. How we deal with our stuff declares who we worship. Because of a mutual friend, a group of guys, and I was included, were invited to play golf many years ago with the then Admiral of the Navy, Admiral Vern Clark. There we are. I was not very good, so I was in the group that followed Vern Clark. And it was an amazing thing because he's a big shot. And so they treated him there as a big shot. And because we were with him, they treated us as we were big shots. And this is what we learned, that we didn't have to be the admiral and that we didn't have to have his power. We just needed his presence. We also discovered this, that we didn't need his position to get what we needed. We just needed his generosity. Now listen to what God said from the very beginning when he created us. Genesis 1, 28 says this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He said, here, take it all. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And they will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that this has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man and said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So pay attention to what God gave them and what he did not give them. He did not say you need to have the power of God. You don't need the sovereign power of God. You don't need to be God. You just need his presence. Because when presence is recognized, everything else aligns. For people will say, oh yeah, they're, they're with the admiral. Treat them well. Oh yeah, they're with God. Treat them well. We don't need his position. We just need the promise of provision. And when in our lives, God has the power and the position, and we have his presence and his provision, that's worship. But understand that that will be contested. For God says, I'm only asking you for one thing, one thing alone. I want you to honor the fact that there is a portion of creation that belongs to me and me alone. 
Worship is an issue of recognized rights. It involves us understanding and accepting the fact that in our lives there are certain provisions or certain portions that God says, that belongs to me, you must give it to me, you must do with it what I ask you to do because that's the way it works. That is your worship to me. You must give back to me what is mine. But Satan proposes an alternative. Oh, no, 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 you need that. Because if you get that, that will give you better power. That will give you the, the position that you need so that you can now rule with all the provision that you need because you can now be responsible for your provision, that you can control all that you need so that you will have life the way that you think it should be designed. And so they heard that and they bit. They bowed down. They submitted they worshipped the alternative voice. They listened and obeyed and worshipped the voice of mammon. And as a result, not only did they not get power and position, they lost presence and provision. We may have a relationship with God, but until we finalize our struggle with his lordship over every facet of our life, I need you, oh, I need you, right here, every part of me, we will struggle with that voice, the voice of the spirit of poverty. Then how do we actually do as Jesus said when he said, you can't worship me and you cannot worship the spirit of mammon? How do we actually deal with that? Well, we begin by doing this. We always give God his portion. Jesus made this statement. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I believe that us giving our portion to God starts here. It starts with what we call the tithe. The tithe reveals who I treasure. It's where my affection is attached. It is, it is what motivates me. The fact that Pam and I, forever since I can remember, since we've been married and, and even before we got married, I did this, that we've given 10% of our income to God Every time we got income, we gave 10% because of this reason, because it was actually in existence before the Mosaic Law was established. It was then put into the Mosaic law because it was so important that we live that way. It was affirmed by Jesus with a moral obligation. And it was even followed through by the early church fathers. Because here's the promise that God said that when we give him our tithe and our offerings, we will, escape, we will escape the abuse of the spirit of poverty, that demonic power. Listen to what God says. Through the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you do rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, but there, that, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. When I keep what belongs to God, and please understand now, and if you're visiting today, you say, you guys always talk about money. Jesus did. 
And I, don't rare, I, I rarely do a series, but because where I see where our economy is right now, and I, hear, I see people suffering, and I see people saying, I don't know if I'm going to make it, I feel, I feel so compelled to talk to us about what God says the economy is like within the kingdom of God. Because the day will come, especially in America right now, and you know that America has no problems. You know we have no insurance issues, we have no tax issues, everything's fine. We know that, that just in a moment the economy can crash, but in God's kingdom there's stability. But for us to be in that place, we have to worship him. And to worship him, one of the things God said is, you need to give to me what belongs to me because that is your expression of worship that puts you in the place where I can bless you. And when I keep what belongs to God, I rob him, and I have bowed down to this, this demonic power who then robs me. But when I give to God not only my tithe, because that's the beginning step, but also the offerings, the, the, the generosity where I can help other people, when I do that, God says, test me, and I'll show you how generous I'll be with you as you trust me in your generosity. I'm going to ask that Ed and Valerie Heinrich join me up here. If you join me, please. I want to, to hear their story because if I tell you, go, ah, well, you're a pastor, you're supposed to do that stuff. Well, these guys are not good because they're pastors. In fact, they're just good for nothing. I get paid, but they're good for nothing. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, so this is Ed and Valerie. Say hi to Ed and Valerie. Hi. Hello. <laughs> All right, you guys, we've been talking, and, and, and I know that you guys... Uh, believe that the part of the kingdom of God is to be generous, and one of the first things you do is, is you tithe. And, and so tell me how long you've been tithing and, and why you started doing that. We've been hold tithing. Hold, it's on. Just hold it up there. Uh, we've been married almost 38 years. Hold it up higher. There you go. Okay. We've been married almost 38 years, and we became uh, Christians. We accepted Christ probably in that first year of our marriage. And very shortly after that is when we started tithing. Why we start tithing? I don't remember if, it were, if there was a specific sermon or a teaching or a small group teaching or what it was, but uh, somehow I found out, we, we came to know that that's what Christians are supposed to do. We came across the verse that you had just talked about in Malachi, and I was not interested in robbing God. <laughs> okay. So you began to tie. So my question to you is this. So you started taking 10% of your income and giving it to whatever God, where God needed in the storehouse and in, in other, other offerings, mm -hmm. right? So did you ever look at that and, and just say, I can't afford to do this? I mean, have you guys always been rich? <laughs> We've never been rich. We still aren't. <laughs> okay. So, so what did you do with that when, when you look at it and go, okay, I'm doing the bills, and, and I don't have enough to give God 10% and, and still have enough to make the bills? What do you do with that? Hold that up real close. We need to hear you. That what, what did we do with it? Well, I mean, what did you do with that? How did you cope with that? And did you keep doing it when you felt like you couldn't afford it? We never not tithed after we started. I think there's been times when... You know, we weren't sure how, where the money was going to come from. We weren't sure if we'd even be able to pay that tithe. And I think maybe once or twice we cheated, but we made it up the next week. So we never really not tithe. And so, it, it never, there was never a question. So can you just share some moments when you, when you thought you weren't going to make it and what God did? <laughs> I, I'm the storyteller. <laughs> um, I'm the storyteller. He, he's the factual guy. Um, I remember we were um, a one-income family. Ed was working. I was a stay-at-home mom. We had a five-year-old, a three-year-old when our um, double blessing of twins came along. And I remember um, 
they were getting bigger. You know how babies grow really fast. And um, this was before onesies, and my babies needed T-shirts. And I asked Ed if we could buy T-shirts, and he said, not this week. And the next week, not this week. So, of course, the T-shirts kind of kept getting shorter and shorter. And I remember crying about it, that we just couldn't afford this week to go get T-shirts for our baby. And um, that week that I cried, I went to church, and a lady came up to me and said, hey, Val. She said, I've got a whole bag of T-shirts from Benjamin. Would you like them? And I started to cry. And I knew in that moment it was because we'd been obedient, that we didn't have the money to get the T-shirts, but he was still going to provide them. So let me ask you this. Have you found that as, <laughs> as, 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 you, as you give God what he said is his, that the 90% you can make it? Always. We've never done without. Never. Well, I mean, it's been slim at times. Yeah. But, yeah. But and and I think we should say here too, and, and you can, because I know that you're really into Financial Peace University and all that. It, it doesn't give us excuse to be spendthrifts with our money or just go crazy with our money. That, that actually, the scripture says that as we honor God, he gives us wisdom on how to use our money. So now there's a story that, that I think you told me that, Ed, that one day you, looked, you got everything out and looked at how much you gave to God and how much your income was and all of that stuff, and it, you couldn't figure it out. I'll let her tell the story. She remembers it better than I do. Yeah, we had, got, we had gotten our giving statement at the end of the year, and because he's a numbers guy, he's sitting at the computer looking at it all, and he said, I, I, I don't know how we gave this much money. It's just, it doesn't compute. And he closed a checkbook and he shut off the computer and said, I can't figure out God. Yeah, yeah. So now that you've done that for how many years? 37 years. 37 years. Do you ever look at that and say, and see the amount and go, oh, where I could have done with that? No, I don't. I, <laughs> <laughs> if I look at that, I look at that and I, I think, I don't want to let that thought you know, go anywhere. So I don't look at that. Okay. So I just want you to make, make it clear. You've been doing this out of obedience to God. Yes. And has he come through for you? He has always come through, through for us. Uh, Valerie made a comment about we're never without. Really, we quite often were without. We, we were without things. We were without things. things. But we were never without our needs. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. We just, God has always met our needs. Great. Thank you. Thanks. So what I want you to hear clearly this morning, and I hope you heard it through the story, that God has prepared a way for us to live within his economy no matter what is happening around us because he said, I'll take care of you. So if we're going to activate in our lives this windows of heaven pouring out its blessing that God talked about in Malachi, then we have to make a premeditated decision of where we want our heart to be. If we want it with God or we want it over in this, this, this spiritual realm that is not God. And then every time we get treasure, we have to plant it where God is. So how do we do that? Paul the Apostle talks about this whole planting process and I want to read it to you. Part of it, 2 Corinthians 9, he says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. 
And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all your need. Then you'll always have everything you need. Now catch this. You'll have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. It's an amazing statement. I truly believe that God said my plan for you is to have enough to enjoy life, to promote my kingdom, and to have enough left over to generously give to other people so that they can find who I am in that journey. That's what he has for each of us. And so there are three principles I want to leave you with that come out of this passage this morning. And the first is this, that everything we have has potential of increase depending on where it's planted. When we follow Jesus, how many are Jesus followers? Okay, so here's the deal. When you follow Jesus, you're going to expect this, that he's going to ask you to be generous with what you have. First of all, he's going to expect you to give your tenth because that belongs to God. And then what's left over, he said, I want you to be generous with what you have in your hand. It can't be one day when I make X amount, I'll be generous. He said, no, you start with what you have. You start there because you belong to the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he He gave. And the amazing thing, Jesus said, no matter what you have, I can use it to bring life. It can be a cup of cold water. It can be a visit to a prison. It can be emotional support in the hospital. It can be clothing someone who doesn't have any clothes. But I can use that. Whatever you have in your hand, I can use that. And so he said, I want you to not give this reluctantly or under pressure from somebody. When somebody says, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and you don't sense it's what God's saying, you've got to pull back. And he said, I want you to do it joyfully. So then that moment when, when you say, okay, I'm going to give this and it's going to be tough, he said, I want you to find the joy in that. I, I appreciate the words of John Calvin who said, whenever fleshly reason calls us back from doing good through fear of loss, we should immediately oppose it with this shield. But the Lord declares, we are sowing. Again, Paul said in verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need, then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God said, you can't outgive me. Try it. Secondly, we determine the size of the harvest at the time of planting. Again, Paul said, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Pam and I have this, we joke around a lot. We love humor, and, and one of the things we, we deal with are blonde jokes. And so, and, and some, a lot of times she's the one who shows them to me, when she understands them. And so, oh, see, see. Okay. I'm cooking today. So if you're blonde, don't send me letters, all right? So we just got through Halloween time, and, and you know, a lot of places had corn mazes, and you walk through the maze, and you try to get lost, and you try to find your way out, whatever. And, and so we've, we found a corn maze for blondes. Okay, so here's the deal. Some of you are just getting it, aren't you? Check your hair color. Here's the deal. If you plant one kernel of corn, you're not going to get a cornfield. If you plant generously, you get a generous harvest, a harvest that will bring you to the place that you can have enough to enjoy life, enough to promote God's kingdom, and enough to bless others generously. Finally, this, the seed must be lost 
before its potential can be realized. Paul says, but the one who plants, there's this whole thing about planting. When you plant a seed, you don't, you don't take the seed in your hand and walk around and go, okay, grow, okay, grow, okay, grow. You're not growing. Why aren't you growing? You put it in the ground. It disappears. You let it go, and you have to trust that the Lord of the harvest will bring it out. You lose it completely. You have no strings attached to it. It is up to God to grow that thing. So you can't, and I can't, we cannot demand what the harvest is going to be, how big it's going to be, and when it's going to happen. You cannot plant a Prius and demand a Lexus. You can't. I mean, you can plant a Prius. You cannot say, God, I need it by this time, because now catch this, God, as Lord of the harvest, knows when the harvest will bring its greatest yield. And he'll bring it at the right moment. Now, here's the problem. When I plant, when I give, and I begin to expect God to respond back in a specific way in a specific time, and it doesn't happen, is when the voice of the spirit of poverty speaks to me and says, see, God's not taking care of you. God's not controlling this. God doesn't have control of what's happening. And so then I become covetous of other people who have stuff happening to them. Or I begin to hoard and say, well, if God's not going to take care of it, I'm going to take care of it. And I become like Adam and Eve in that garden. In that moment, I have to go back and I've got to say, what did God say? Because he always said there'd be a harvest. And so I've got to trust that he will bring it out in its time of greatest yield. So I, introduce, I want to introduce you to um, a friend of mine and his wife, Anthony, and his wife. We have a picture of Anthony. There we go. Uh, Anthony's a, a cool kid. He was, he was actually uh, born in Vietnam. His mother's Vietnamese. His father was a, uh, a serviceman over there, and he was adopted in America. And just in a, about 10 or 15 years ago, he began to track down his family and found them in Philadelphia, which is really cool. But Anthony was in our church in Oregon, and, and, and I've told you parts of this story. Let me put it all together for you now. Anthony uh, decided that, that he wanted to play keyboards and be part of the worship team. And he was like a freshman or sophomore in, in high school, and, and he'd never played instruments, so he started to teach himself the keyboard. And so the youth pastor was pretty cool. He said, Anthony, you want to play keyboard? Yes. Yeah. So he put him on stage or up with the rest of the worship team, but turned off his keyboard so no one could hear him. <laughs> and he just kept playing and, and he got better and better. So finally he turned his volume up. And then he said, I want to be on stage and I want to do that on stage. And so he brought him into the main service and did the same thing, turned, his, turned it way down. But he got better and better and better. And eventually he was, he was getting pretty good. And, and so we, we could hear him. And he decided that that's what he wanted to do. So he went out and got a job and saved his money and bought this really wonderful keyboard. It was really a top-line keyboard for, for back then. It was just really good stuff. And he had just gotten the keyboard, and he was doing his thing on, on stage and, and starting to sing a little bit. And we had a guy visit us from the Bronx, New York, that was starting a church in the Bronx. And he said, one of the things we need is a keyboard because my son leads worship and we're going to plant this church in the Bronx and, and I need a keyboard. And after service, Anthony said, can you come with me? And I went with Anthony and he was packing up his keyboard and he said, here's, here's my keyboard and I want you to give it to him. I said, Anthony. He said, hurry up and give it to him before I change my mind. <laughs> so I gave it to him and the guy took it to the Bronx. Anthony told me that later he really expected that God was going to give him a new keyboard about two months down the road, a better one, because that's what God does. God never gave him a keyboard. 
because God knows when the harvest has the greatest yield. So Anthony was waiting for a response and, and never really saw anything. He let it go. And, and during that time, some of the things that happened to Anthony was as he began that faith walk of trusting God by giving, he began to grow up in his faith in God. And, and, and faith is the heart of worship. And God was developing this, this worship heart in him because of faith. And then he began to get this great joy because he heard how, how this church was growing in the Bronx and how the, the kid that was using his, his keyboard was doing such a great job in worship. And Anthony started getting this, this great joy because joy is the heart of giving, which makes you a wonderful worshiper. The day did come, I believe, when the harvest came in its fullest, in its greatest yield. God never gave Anthony a keyboard. Instead, he gave him a ministry as the chief worship director at a church of 6,000 worshipers, which was his heart. God knew the greatest harvest would be that moment. So Anthony could still be standing there with his keyboard, grasping it, hearing what God wanted, and saying, bless me, bless me, bless me. Instead, he let it go, and he dropped it in the soil and, and disconnected from it and said, God, I trust you. See, Anthony would never, would have never seen that coming, would have never seen that opportunity coming. But when you trust Jesus, he knows what harvest is, he knows what's best for you, and he ushers you to that place so that you can receive the greatest harvest because of your generosity. So we sit here today and we have not reached the apex. We have not reached the pinnacle of what God has for us. And God is saying, if you trust me, if you let it go, if you release generosity into me, I will bring to you the greatest thing that you could not even think or imagine according to the power that works within you. And when you give generously, that power has opportunity to function to its fullest degree. So this morning, I think maybe it's time for a lot of us in this place to cry out, I want my destiny in you, and I'm going to cry out, I need you in every facet of my life, including my finances. I need you. Comfort makes way, or com confession makes way for comfort. And so we're going to end this morning with a prayer of confession. And, and I believe this is more than words. I've been praying over this for several weeks. I believe this is a release, that this is something that God's going to do in a lot of you this morning. As you confess this, you must determine first that I'm going to trust God, and you must really, really consider the whole tithing thing. And if you're going to wrestle with that, you don't know what to do, how to do it, call us, because we want you set free. I believe that this city will change economically as we lean on the economy of God. And as his believers trust him, he will pour out riches into them so that the city will change, because it will not happen when, when the demonic forces lead the economy. It's not going to happen. And God has, has created this city to be a city of refuge, a city of peace, and a city of, of great provision. And it's, it's going to happen as we allow him to do that through us. And so will you stand? And I invite you to take a posture of receiving this morning and make this part of your declaration, make this part of your confession. And as I'm reading this confession, would you even just say, Lord, I agree, I agree, I agree, that's me. So Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and by whose blood we are made right in your eyes. We confess that too often we have trusted the false systems around us and not understood your grace and mercy. We repent of the sin of idolatry.
of loving our stuff more than loving you, of worshiping our things in place of worshiping you, of trusting our possessions instead of trusting you. We repent of our lack of trust in your power, your compassion, and your timing. We denounce any gates we have opened to the spirit of mammon, that spirit of poverty. We declare that you alone are worthy of worship and trust. And since the sins of the fathers are passed to the third and fourth generations, we ask that you forgive our ancestors for any involvement in these sins and you break the bondage of materialism, worry, anxiety, lust, hoarding, and covetousness, not only in our families, but in this city. We ask you to forgive us for the same. And teach us by your holy word and your holy spirit how to trust you, how to live in the prosperity you have planned for us. We are grateful for your abundant blessings and we apply to our lives the blood of Jesus which binds this spirit of poverty and looses your blessings into our lives and not only into this present generation but in the generations to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we seal this confession, and this prayer. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.